For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are all in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on those sports is at betonline.ag. I obviously got the whole Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs thing uh, to win the Super Bowl wrong, but I feel really confident about taking either Baylor or Gonzaga to win the NCAA tournament. So maybe I just jinx them. I guess we'll see. But either way, Bet Online covers everything from awards to TV shows, reality TV, pretty much anything you can think of. So Bet Online has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's always the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you'll receive 50% off as a welcome bonus for your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards. Uh, as we mentioned last time, doing a autographed Bradley Beal picture giveaway. So remember to uh, send us a screenshot of you subscribe to the podcast or also uh, you can do... Uh, a review on iTunes and send us a shot of that. And uh, we'll announce a winner for that next week. So as always, remember to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, Larry, since we last talked, the Wizards have gone two and three. There was a 132 to 121 loss to Portland, which wasn't as close as the score indicates. Uh, 103-100 win against Miami, which was exactly as close as the score indicates. 122-95 loss to Miami right after that, which was surprising because that was the game where we had everybody and Miami was missing a bunch of guys. Uh, a 119-97 loss to Charlotte, which was pretty rough to watch. And uh, and they followed up with a real close uh, squeaker of a win, 105-101 against Chicago. Uh, and then the other night, I, I really, actually last night, I thought they had a real chance to beat Toronto. The game was close for most of it and just sort of slipped away late in the fourth again, 137-115. Wizards game seems to play out one of three ways. They're all close or and you know for three and a half quarters or they fall apart late, or they get down early, come back, and win at the buzzer because the other team basically misses a point-blank layup, or they just get the doors blown off of them, which hadn't been something we'd seen until you know fairly recently. Why do you think this team is sort of all over the place like this? I think it's it's when I watch games, I mean, I, I see an expectation that something's going to go bad. Mm-hmm. And we talk about body language and how important it is. But, you know, when you're playing a professional game, man, and you see your opponents with their head down or, or they get frustrated when you make a shot or you make a play, then that just makes you go harder. And just specifically what I saw last night is that, you know, Toronto hit a bunch of threes and a bunch of contested threes. But each time a shot went in, it was like the end of the world for the defender. And if you're guarding me, if I'm playing against you and I see that, I mean, it just gives a fuel 
that the other teams need to to think that they have you and to give a professional player the advantage of thinking that he has you it puts yourself you know really behind the eight ball so a lot of times it's not just the, the physical abilities because they all have this you know similar abilities sure it's that mental piece it's that mental piece of not you know not breaking down by any means necessary don't break down and i think that that's what i see it's just the small things it's a fine line in the nba of winning and losing games we all know that and normally an, an nba game with two you know competitive teams you know it's two minute stretches it's a three minute stretch it's going to determine the game and if it's early in the third quarter or if it's late in the fourth quarter, you're going to run into that two to three minute stretch. And that's what I see. I got pulled away. I think it was like 108, 104. I got pulled away from the game and I didn't return until the end of the game. So I was completely shocked that that's <laughs> how the score ended. Yeah. yeah, I was completely shocked that that's how the score ended. But I did see kind of the body language of those guys when they were hitting threes. I saw that it was really taking the air out of the Wizards. I had almost the same thing happen. Like uh, I, I ran out of the room for like literally two minutes and I came back. It was like a six point game when I walked out and I came back in and I hadn't hit pause on, on the TV. And I'm like, eh, you know, I'll only need to be out of the room for a minute. What could happen? And I came back and it was like a 14 point game. I was like, I just, I didn't understand, you know, and, and it's, I saw, especially in that stretch, exactly what you talked about. They made a tough three. Somebody didn't close out the next possession. You know, they made another tough shot. And it's like, everybody's got their palms up. They're pointing at each other. Uh, and then you hear them in the post game. And, you know, every week Scott Brooks comes in and is like, hey, you know, we prepared really well. Uh, you know, we, we gave this, you know, these guys the scouting reports. We were prepared for how this team plays. And then we just didn't execute. And I don't know why we didn't. And then you hear Bradley Beal. Hey, we were prepared. We knew the personnel. And then we just didn't execute. How do you fix that as a coach then? Like, uh, you know, if, if you're saying they're prepared and they're just not doing it, how do you make guys do it? I think it comes with leadership in the locker room. And it's not just about saying all the right things. It's doing the right things and saying the right things as well. It's a very fine line between winning and losing basketball games, especially in the NBA. And it's a misrotation here. It's a tough shot there. It's somebody gets hot at the wrong time. So it, it's a very fine line between winning and losing. And those that move up the ladder are those that figure it out, you know, and figure out those two to three minute stretches on how to get a good shot, how to get that stop when you need it, how to draw that offensive foul when you need it. Like that's all a part of leadership. And I think that that's part of the mental game as well. And you can prepare and you can understand, you know, your scouting report and all of that is fine but it still boils down to execution and just to understand and not execute. Then you have to, who's accountable for that. I mean, somebody has to be accountable for understanding the game plan and not executing, whether it's the players, whether it's the coaches, whether it's the guy that played in the first half and now he's not playing in the second half because he didn't execute on the game plan. Like there's some, there has to be some accountability uh, there and there has to be some leadership there, whether it comes in the form of a player, uh, assistant coach, head coach, like, there has to be some leadership that takes place in, in this situation. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what fans are sort of wondering right now is like, who is that person? Cause uh, there were some interesting comments made this week, especially uh, you know, Brad Beal after one of the losses, they'd lost two blowouts in a row to Miami and Charlotte said, 
uh, the team has no dog in them and that certain players aren't carrying their weight. And then last night, you know, basically said, we're all adults here and he can't do it for, you know, do it for guys. Like you don't want to hear that from the, the centerpiece of your team, because to me, that sounds like uh, Hey, the guys we're playing are not the guys we should be playing. And you hear subtle comments from him when, when Mo or Garrison guys like that do have good games about like, yeah, you know, about time they got on the court. It, that sounds to me like he's throwing shade at at Brooks or Shepard or whoever the mandate for who gets minutes is coming from, you know, uh, between those two guys. I would assume Brooks mostly, but maybe I'm reading too much into that, but uh, you can feel the frustration there. I, th- I think there is frustration. I think there's frustration and a guy as competitive as Brad, a guy who spends as much time working on his individual game, um, has done all the right things as far as community base and as far as making sure that he's prepared to go out and do his job uh, night in and night out. But there's more to it. I mean, there's 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 more to uh, leading a franchise. There's more to wins and losses. There's more to building a culture. Uh, there, there's more to it. There's more to, um, you know, just really understanding how all of the pieces fit together. And you have to be ready to take on, you know, everything that's coming his way. He has to be ready to take on everything that's coming his way and figure out a way to make everybody successful. It's not about if a guy turns down an open shot to get frustrated at that guy for turning down that open shot. It's about figuring out why that guy turned down that open shot. Does he not have the confidence to shoot that shot? Was it not the right time to shoot that shot? Just because you're open doesn't mean you shoot that shot. Mm-hmm. And a team that's struggling, I don't think it's really good or, or the best situation or best option to shoot that first open shot. I think you should want to make the defense work a little bit, see if you can draw some fouls, see if you can get their players uh, in a little bit of foul trouble, get somebody on the bench for most of the first half. I mean, that's a strategy that I would start to use because man to man, you know, team to team, we're not being successful. So we have to start to strategize. And I think that that's part of the strategy. And Brad should be included in that strategy of how we're going to play, who we're going to play, What's our game plan? What's our play calls when these lineups are in? So I think bringing him more into the fold of the ins and outs of the rotations and and what we're looking for with certain guys, I think bringing him in so he has a better understanding of how to help those guys be more successful when they're on the court together because he knows the overall game plan of the coach. He knows that every player that's on his team wants to be successful. They want to make every shot. They want to win every basketball game. But in order to get there, we have to figure out what those steps are to make everybody, you know, the best that they can be. And one thing that I would try, like I said, is I would try bringing Brad into, you know, those information rooms where we're talking about strategy of the game, talking about rotations, talking about those things. So he has an understanding of why this guy's on the court at this time, as opposed to saying, oh, oh shit, what do we do now? I had some uh, I had a conversation with some buddies about this uh, the other night, and, and we were all kind of going back and forth about exactly how much Brad input Brad does have. Like I, I mentioned the the Matthews Wagner example specifically, and and the counter to that was, you know, he said some really positive things about what having Bertans on the floor does for him and opens up for him. Brooks and Brad have both talked about the lack of defense and needing to get guys out there that defend. And then they've now made Bertans a starter and, and he might be the, the worst defensive player on the team so far this year. So 
those things seem kind of contradictory to me. Like I have a hard time reconciling, you know, that, but I, I, t- I assume that means he just has more confidence in Bertans based on, you know, what he saw last year than maybe he does some of these younger guys. And I think when you talk about guys passing up open shots, Avdia specifically seems to be that guy. Like there were two or three times last night he was wide open, didn't take it, kind of walked into like a worse play. And then you saw Brad and Russ both kind of shrug at him. Uh, for whatever reason, they just don't seem to have that comfort level or that trust in him yet, maybe. And I guess because he's a new player. But does, is that somewhere where like COVID hurts them, where they can't do this on a practice court and work these things out? I think so. I think so. I mean, with all these protocols and, and not wanting to be, you know, in one place, the entire group too long and making sure that you could field the right team and not expose certain players to certain things. I, I know it's tough. You know, I, I know it's tough. So we talk about kind of the after effect, but I also like to dig into the information room mm-hmm. where we're discussing what we're doing, how we want to win because we're, we, we're behind the eight ball now. Yeah. So we wanted to make sure that, that, that our main guys are included in what we're doing. And mm-hmm. that's really, that gives them confidence that they know if, if a player knows the why in which his coach is operating, there's a little bit more comfort. It's not saying that things are going to go right. It's not saying that things are going to go perfect or work out the way coach said, but, but there's just an understanding because vice versa, if a player, if a coach understands why a player decided to shoot a shot, two steps over half court or go for the two for one, it may not always work out, but the coach understands why that player, you know, did that. So it's, it's, it's more of a communication factor so we can move forward, you know, kind of in one, you know, in, in one direction. And I think that if the Wizards want to be a team that can turn things around, it's going to happen on the defensive end of the ball. It's not going to happen on the offensive end of the ball, complaining about, you know, not taking this shot or, or anything like that. It's not going to be that situation. It's going to be completely about, how they get stops, how they come together on the defensive end. And it's tough to do that, you know, with, with limited practice time. You also had Scott Brooks say this week that I think all of our players need to improve on it. We send clips out and they need to watch it. We know who watches it and who doesn't. All of our guys need to improve. It's a physical game and a mental game. You can't just work on the physical part and neglect the mental part. Video games are fun, but it doesn't pay the bills. A lot of players nowadays, they want to play video games you can spend some time doing that, but you got to take care of your, your business first. Watch games at night. League Pass is available for everybody, and it's fun watching games. You can watch six or seven hours of basketball a night. That's what you should do. To me, and I don't, I don't know how it works in a locker room or how much leverage a coach has, but if I feel like specific guys are the guys that are not watching film, I would be scheduling them on Zoom calls with our film coordinator and you're going to sit there and we're going to make you watch two hours of film a night or your ass isn't leaving the bench. Now, maybe it's so many guys on the team, he would run out of people to play, but I can promise you they can find five guys that are doing what they're supposed to. And they may not be the best five guys, but if that's such a big issue for you, that's the five guys I would play. And until everyone else gets the message, I don't give a shit if we lose the next five games because what we're doing now doesn't seem to be working. So, so how much you know, leverage or control over a situation like that does an NBA coach really have? I think he has tons of control, tons of control. I think the best teacher is always at at any level is the bench. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to have an explanation of why the bench is your best friend, I think that's even more powerful. If you're talking about, I mean, it's like a 
a university. It's like a, a four year, like a college situation mm -hmm. of talking about video games versus film, you know, especially for, a, you know, a losing group. So that, you know, in itself should be nipped in the butt just off the strength of like, like we're professionals. Like we don't, I guess, I never played video games. I mean, I, Nintendo was where I kind of stopped at, yeah. but we're not putting this video game over our ability to, to be on the same page and do our job to figure out what the other team is doing. I mean, that in itself will get you fined. It'll get you benched. It'll get you something. Uh, that's the, the accountability factor. So no, I don't think that that is a viable excuse at all. I think that if, if coach is aware of players opting to play video games versus watch film, then we no longer need to find a problem. Like we found it. <laughs> that is it. I mean, we found the problem. We found the issue is that we may be saying all the right things, but we're not doing all the right things. And when we talk about the scouting report and knowing what our responsibilities are in the post-game interviews, we're saying the right thing, but we're not doing the right things. So that makes a lot of sense to me. The thing that doesn't make sense to me out of that is every press conference is we were prepared, we were well scouted. And then you say, well, certain guys aren't well prepared. So like, are you playing those guys that aren't prepared? Should we take that to mean that the guys that sat out that game, like we keep hearing the guys like Wagner and stuff like that specifically are guys that are hard workers. They're really engaged. They're doing what they're supposed to. People like Brad seem impressed with the, the, the effort that they put in or the work they put in. But then those are the guys not playing. So what I would expect if I were a coach is that the guy I'm sitting out is the guy that's not doing what he's supposed to. So like, I just don't know how to reconcile those things. They, they don't all, there's no one plus one equals two with what they say versus what they seem to do. Yeah. I think the, the proof is in the results and you talk about that two to three minute stretch in every game and you mm -hmm. talk about being in the game and then there's the part where you really need to lock in and execute whether you fall short on the offensive end or you fall short on the defensive end, those are things that are happening. And then I think just, just the brutal reality is, is that these guys are expecting to lose. You know, it's, it's tough to say that. I mean, and I'm obviously watching, but I've been in, in locker rooms and I've been on teams that, you know, we did not expect to win that game. And that's what I see. I mean, you may say all the right things, but once, you know, you break that sweat and you get going, you know, your reality kicks in and your team reality kicks in, your team motives kick in. And what it looks like to me is those guys on it, they're not expecting to win. They, they're saying they expect to win. They're saying they're doing the things right. But if you watch the game, you watch the body language, you watch when somebody makes a shot, you watch the execution on defense, you watch how down they get when another team goes on a run. It's like the oh shit moment of here it goes again. And those are the teams that don't really expect to win. They're just waiting for the other team to take it or they're just expecting us to do something out of the ordinary and give it away. And that's, that's what I see. Yeah. I think you're spot on. Cause even when they're, you know, saying what they should say, there's still an air of like good teams. You can genuinely see surprise on their face when they lose a game, when the wizards win a game, it's like, whew. All right, man. Okay. Good. Good to get, felt good to get that one. You know, Scott Brooks talked to, I forget which game it was at this point, maybe the Brooklyn win, I think, about like, oh man, that one, I, I had a white claw after this one. Like I had to say, you know, like that one was a celebratory win. Like you just can't have that attitude. Like it shouldn't mean shit that you won a regular season game when you had three wins at the time. Like it was a cool way to win. It's a good team, but 
I just think that sends the wrong message even when when you're like everybody's fist pumping because now they're only eight games, you know, eight games behind sixth place or seventh. You know, like it's just I'm a little bit at a loss and and I hate to be the guy that every week is like it's the coach's fault. But my question for you is like I I listen to a lot of podcasts about basketball and I listen to a lot of guys from from your generation specifically because that was my heyday as a basketball fan. And and you can kind of hear it from guys when they subtly fault coaching decisions and stuff. Like I listened to a Sean Marion podcast the other day and and he was kind of, um, you know, taking some shots, you know, about Mike D'Antoni and decision-making and things like that. I guess, when do you know, like a coach has lost a team, like at least from the outside looking in, like, what are the signs that says like this dude, you know, the inmates are running the asylum to some extent. You know what it is? I think waiting to lose the game. <laughs> what we're seeing. Yeah, wait, waiting to lose a game. I think that's that's where you understand and, and and know that the players are not connected with the coach and they don't feel that the game plan is strong enough to actually win or to actually execute on what what is being said. And I got to st- when I was with New York uh, for that that short time and, you know, 10 out of the 13 guys, I think, were on one-year, you know, deals. And mm-hmm. Tony was was there. He was a coach. And it had already been talked about of of how great of an offensive coach D'Antoni is and, and you know, all of that. And how defense is kind of just – is kind of a throw-in. And, I mean, we would go in and we would have shoot-arounds and they would be like six minutes. It would be like eight minutes. And this is to prepare for the a team that we're going to play. Right. And and all that you're talking about really is the offensive side of the ball of what we're going to do, not mm-hmm. how we're going to stop or not how we're going to game plan or not how we're going to strategize on the defensive end to stop an opposing professional player that right. gets to the money just like we do, right? So there's a disconnect there because now we're going in and say, yeah, hey, we're going to do great on offense, but when we get on the defense end, we have no idea. We don't know what our adjustment is. We don't know exactly what our standard coverage is going to be. So we don't. We have zero room to to grow. We we don't have a room. We don't have room to, you know, to change direction. If our our show isn't working, then we're going to switch. Well, if we never talk about a show, and you know they start getting buckets, do we switch? Do we show? Do we drop? I mean, what do we do? So there's not. There wasn't a game plan. So quickly, the players understand that we're not in the best position to win. So any little thing that happens, we're going to feel like it's an avalanche. Mm-hmm. And that's what, kind of what I was speaking on is like there's a disconnect in the, you know, in the leadership, in the locker room of, of the Wizards. Sure. And when you can see that the players are waiting to lose the basketball game, then you know, who's accountable for that? I mean, yeah. who's accountable for that? I haven't checked yet to see if I'm banned for media availability, but I wrote an article this week that said, this is all Ted Leonsis's fault. You know, if, if you have a, a GM who's not putting a coach in place that can control the players or execute on your vision, then that's your fault. And as a coach, if you're playing guys that you're also saying are underperforming, then that's your fault. Like accountability should start at the top, but you know, I don't want to see anybody get fired. I'm sure Scott Brooks is a good guy, but like at some point, it's human nature for I'm I have tuned this guy out like what he said it is not leading to wins it does not work I'm ready for a new voice and I think what you were talking about with New York like that's probably okay if you have a like veteran group who's been together for a long time and they know the system and you can cut practices a little short give guys some rest but like you've got all these guys thrown together you know everybody's playing for their next deal like 
this Wizards team, you've got some vets, some rookies, some new guys, some young guys, some guys on one-year deals, like some guys didn't get their option picked up. You just, you can't be like, oh, well, nobody watched the film this week. Whoops. I just, I, I'm, I'm like trying not to lose my shit right now thinking about it. Yeah, I think it's it's leadership, man. It's it's really locker room leadership and really telling it like it is. I think telling it like it is in a way that, and it's, it's tough to say how that's going to be perceived. It's tough to say how that's going to, you know, excuse me, how that's going to be received with your teammates. But I think that there's a, a, a element of telling it like it is that helps the entire situation, that helps the entire group. And if you tell it like it is, maybe it's not the star player that's telling it like it is. You know, maybe it's not a guy that's playing a bunch of minutes that's telling it like it is, but he's, he's able to observe and to view how things are going and why things are going the way they are. So leadership is not just about Brad, not saying Brad has to be that leader within the locker room. But the leader or Robin Lopez or any of these veteran guys that have been on winning teams. That's it. That's it. I mean, because if, if those guys have been in a winning situation and, and have also been in a losing situation, we completely know the difference between the two. And if those guys are like me, I went to Golden State and I completely understand that that was a losing situation. I completely understood that. So anytime I got ready to move on to the next spot, I wanted to make sure that it did not look like that, right? Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to make sure that if there was an issue of guys, you know, not showing up to practice, not doing this, not doing that, we had a conversation about it. We talked about it because I did not want it to look like that. And Brad has been in Washington his entire career, so he may not have the perspective of how things are or, or how things go. He has a bunch of friends around the league that are in winning situations. So he has that understanding, but he hasn't been in two different situations or, you know, two different organizations to understand what the looks of winning and what the looks of losing are. And it's just the nature that you're going to win some games, you're going to lose some games, but it's that entire perspective. So when I say leadership, it's not about pointing the finger at Brad to say you have to be, the, the locker room leader, the, you know, the on-court leaders, it's pretty much going to fall on you because, you know, you're that guy. But when we talk about the, the locker room and, you know, how we present ourselves, that's, that doesn't have to necessarily be Brad. That has to be somebody that knows the difference between a winning situation and a losing situation and all those components that go inside of it. Even Westbrook has never really been on a in a losing situation i mean he obviously had like a, a lean year or two in oklahoma city but but he has been a playoff player his whole career so like obviously the first year or two but like you know it, it's it's probably even hard for him to reconcile like okay i'm i'm in a, a bottom you know a bottom tier team right now but you know we brought lopez in for veteran leadership and he's a smart like well-spoken guy I, I would think people would take that at face value if he says like Here's what we did in my Milwaukee last year that worked. Here's what we're not doing here. You know, that that could kind of bridge the gap. Um, and that's where I wonder if like, you know, like Brad has said in the past, like the best leader he ever played with was LeBron. And it's like, when did you play with LeBron? Well, an all-star game over a weekend. It's like, that should be scary to an organization that that's like one of the best leaders they've put around this guy. Um, and sometimes I think it's posturing when teams have players only meetings, but I would love to hear that this team had a players only meeting and guys were like, we're fucking sick of this. Like this shit stops. Like I, I would be so thrilled to hear that happened. And it's wild to me that you, we haven't heard that. I mean, 
to you know to win three ball games through a, through an you know through a long stretch you know we're, we're talking before you know this last stretch of games but to not come together in sort of um in a in a team way i mean yeah that that's that's confusing to me and that doesn't happen often i mean you, you there's usually one guy that's going to pull you know another teammate to say hey we need to talk to all of our other teammates so it's not all it's not one guy it's usually one teammate that's going to bring one or two other guys in and say hey let's let's get everybody together let's have a conversation you got three people standing up you know in front of the room and then everybody else is is kind of in their lockers so it's not just one person that's going to you know dictate you know how things go it's 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 a small group that's up top and now we're going to talk to the entire group on what we want to see, how we, you know, how we view things and try to move forward that way. And that it's, it's, it's leadership. I mean, you really can't say it any more simply than that. Right. I mean, it's, and, and again, but, but, like, but the thing is too, is how do you prompt those guys yeah. to come to that conclusion? Right. Mm-hmm. If you're the head coach, your assistant coach, I mean, how are you giving them the idea that, Hey, you guys may need to get together to talk things out or to try to figure out, you know, what we're going to look like, you know, going forward, because it's a COVID situation. Guys are going, you know, all their, their separate ways. So maybe they can't prompt that. Maybe they don't come up with that, but who can help them do that? And, you know, again, assistant coach, the coach, I mean, somebody within the, the, the system to talk to a, a guy that says, hey, you guys get together and, and have a conversation amongst yourselves and see if, you know, if, if that helps you guys out on the floor in, in any sort of way. And maybe it's not, you know, maybe it won't help them. But I think that that's an idea that we've all thrown out and all been in that situation of having players only meetings. You know, just at least we had that. Again, I'm like trying to give them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt with, all right, maybe COVID makes this tough, like. But you could have a Zoom call as a team, you know, like you could do something. But, you know, as a coach, maybe it's not his temperament. I'm not advocating for guys to be somebody they're not. But after one of these losses, I would go into the locker room and start breaking some shit. You know, like you got to implore on these guys like this cannot keep being the case. Like how how do you make that message clear to everyone that this shit's got to stop? Like is my amateur recreational sports career parallel here, Larry, but we had a tennis team went to the sectional tournament, like literally four years in a row lost in the finals, all four years. The fifth year I showed up with our second place trophy from the year before and just smashed it in the middle of the locker room before the match. I'm like, we're not doing this shit. Like we're not going to be, we're not going to lose that way again. Like somebody's got to get somebody else like fired up about this shit. And maybe that happens and we just don't see it, but it just seems like a lot of like, Oh, well lost another one. Um, and as a fan, like that's, I know certain guys care. You can see it on their face, but for the vast majority, it's just sort of like, well, you know, maybe next year or next game will be better. Like you want to see as a fan, like someone you on your TV screen cares as much as you care watching them. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, and I'm just observing, you know, from, from the outside looking in, but I think just, you know, from the, you know, from the players on the court, you know, the, the coaches on the bench, the commentators that are at the game, commentators that are doing or the broadcasters that are, that are doing post game there's an expectation that the team's going to lose I mean there there's a heavy expectation that the team is going to lose so first you have to you have to you know rework your your brain to not have that sort of thought process you know and then you can start from there but it is it is really obvious 
you know, even listening to the to the broadcast that we're like, okay, yep. here's another one. Point in time, you know, when is this thing going to turn the the wrong way for us? Yep. And that's a representation of the players as well. I mean, the the, the broadcasters that are that are doing the game. That's a representation of, of, of what the players are feeling as well. And, you know, you have to get that corrected. At, at what point do you say, like, okay, okay, this this is past the point of fixable? Like, is 6-16 six and 16 that point? Is it the halfway mark in the season? Like, when is it too late to right the ship? Or is it ever too late to at least fix the mindset? Well, I think in a, in a normal year, you're looking at, you know, obviously during your trade, you know, deadline or right around your all-star break. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with this year, it's 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 different, and you know, as far as you know, guys being in protocols and not having the ability to work out and making sure that their fitness level is is top notch, and going out of the situation and jumping back in when all the other players have been playing, like it's somewhat of a you know of an excuse, but it is a, a really good excuse is that we we have to figure out. And I, I hate when I, I hate using the you know the the excuse deal because you know anything it's, can come with there's something fair. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think COVID does play a role in what not only the Wizards but a bunch of you know other teams are going going through when you talk about having a cohesive unit, you know, being on the same page on offense and defense. Uh, I think that this thing is affecting you know multiple teams across the league, obviously. Um, but when you've only won six games. And you have a player of brass caliber that's doing what he's doing. You're going to stand out like a sore thumb, yeah. um, and that and that's really the that's really the issue. I mean, we've had a lot of your former teammates on, and and to a, you know, every one of them to a letter has said, "Hey, that team, like we gelled, we did stuff together." Not everybody did stuff with everybody, but in a year where like, you know, some places on the road, there's not an even improved place to go get dinner as a, you know a group of more than four and you know, there isn't that oversight of who's going back to their room and doing what they're supposed to, or there isn't that post-game dinner where you can all sit there and have a have a beer or whatever it is and be like, man, that shit sucked. Like, what do we do about it? Like, I, I give them somewhat of a pass on that. Like, I, I'm sure that sucks. And it makes it harder for a young team with new pieces and, and all that. But yeah, at some point it just, I, I don't know, got to do, got to do something different, whatever it is. Yeah. With, with all of that included, you have to find a way. I mean, with all of that stuff included, like you still have to find a way, right? I mean, there's going to be a trophy raised at the end of the year. Um, you know, there's, there are going to be accolades that are given out at the end of the year. So with all of the things happening, like you have to find a way. Yeah, I mean, the team that wins it will be the team that powers through all that shit. So if you don't, you're not going to win. And, and it's that simple. Um all right, the next slate of games here, they play the Knicks on Friday night, uh, which Knicks have been tougher this year, but that's still uh, a winnable game, in my opinion. Uh, but then you play Celtics. You have on Sunday, you have a Rockets rematch on Monday, and then you go Nuggets, Blazers, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets. Uh, that's a tough stretch. I mean, we just went two and three against an objectively easier slate of games. Yeah, I, I don't know where wins are coming from on that list. Maybe you have a, you know, Westbrook seems to be fired up for for bigger matchups like the Brooklyn game specifically. Maybe the Rockets game you're juiced up for or catch Portland the second time around. I don't know, but 
like a Lakers Clippers back to back does not seem like a winning recipe for a team like this right now. No, it's, it's tough. You know, it's tough. It's a tough schedule, especially at, you know, at this point when you're struggling um, and, but you understand when the schedule comes out where your, you know, your tough matchups will be, you know, where those games that, you know, you know, you expect to, you give yourself a chance to win, but you know, in reality, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough game to win. You talk about back-to-backs. And then you also talk about playing a team uh, twice, you know, within a, a short period of time, whether it's a back-to-back or whether it's, you know, a day in between. Mm-hmm. I think that those are the games that you can look to steal. Uh, it's tough to beat an NBA game, an NBA team, you know, two games, you know, in, in two consecutive nights. I think that that is something that's, um, you know, no matter who's playing, no matter who's showing up on the court, I think that, that is just tough to do. Uh, sometimes, or most times, pride has something to do with that. And a lot of times the other team that won – letting their guard down, um, you know, the second night factors into to the other team winning. But it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And I think that uh, as we look at the games, and I'm not sure how Washington is looking at the games. I'm not sure if they're looking at the games at, a, at a, you know, this game is up next. Uh, these three games are up next. These five games are up next. I'm not sure how they're, how they're viewing it, but that would be interesting to know how they're laying out and what their thought process is, you know, from game to game. I know everyone will say that, you know, you know, you take one game at a time, but we all plan out. We all, you know, schedule out, you know, what we think we can do. And if I'm just interested in how they are looking at it, if they're looking at it in three game blocks or uh, in five game blocks, but it is going to be really tough to, to come out uh, with the above 500 record. And I think that that should be the goal. If you're looking at, you know, these games in those blocks is to, to be 500 and try to be greater than that. And I don't see that, you know, within these next five games, I think it's going to be tough to be 500 and above. You talk about planning those things out and and they have said, Russell Westbrook will always sit on the second game of a back-to-back. Why couldn't he sit on the first game of a back-to-back? You know, if it's a matchup that you're going to be hard pressed to, to win anyway, um, you know, like I would be strategic about those things and it doesn't seem like that happens or in a game where you're already down 25 at halftime or whatever it is, you know, maybe you sit him for the rest of that game and then do play him the next night. Like, it just doesn't seem like that happens at all. It's like, well, here's our plan and we'll never deviate from it. I think that that's a good point. You know, I think that's a good point. When you talk about, uh, the, the low management situation, you know, is there ability to, limit minutes where he has the ability to play in both games. I mean, obviously you want him to be effective. So you want to get the most out of him and maybe spreading him through two games. is not going to be the best benefit for Russ or the best benefit for the team, but you have to explore that. You have to think about that and, and, you know, and talk about that process and maybe introduce that to, you know, Russ and Brad. And if there's another player that's on the team that you feel like, you know, should participate in those sort of discussions, I think that you bring them in. But if Russ is not playing, then someone else's workload is going to increase. And that's not to say that they have to score more. It's just that they have to to do a little bit more um, to to you know to step into that void that he's leaving. And do you have the team to do that? So would it make sense to give him as opposed to playing you know thirty five minutes? You know maybe it's twenty six minutes and twenty six minutes in the other game. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I think that that's a good point, Matt. Is just to figure out you know, the strategy of sitting an entire game and not playing the second game of a back-to-back. Um, 
I think that that's worth putting out in the press and exploring that a little bit to see if there's a, and you know, an option to do that. I will ask that next uh, practice or media availability. And, and it may have come up at some point. I just haven't heard it, but it's, I think that every time it's like, and he looks rusty for stretches of certain games. They're getting off to slow starts. You know, maybe four days off isn't a good thing sometimes. Maybe it's just a lighter load over two games. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. The, the body is king. And, you know, to try to manipulate, you know, that process and you're not healthy, it's like, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. You have guys that are like like LeBron. I mean, he's a guy that you know that he's logged a lot of minutes and you know that he has a thought process that, he, well, he's not thinking, but I'm of the thought process that maybe he should, you know, dial it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he's, it's, it's a rhythm game. I mean, you get comfortable playing X amount of minutes, you know, your, your body knows how it's going to respond. And if you're just kind of going up and down and up and down on this little bell curve, I mean, it's, it's tough to figure out when your body is going to respond or, you know, when is it, you know, the, the time to go, you can't, you know, just increase that pace, you know, gradually because you haven't been playing. So you want to, you know, you want to get yourself going as fast as you can. And I think that plays into, you know, how those guys play as well, but you have to figure out, and you have to, you know, kind of turn over each rock to figure out how can we uh, maneuver and be the best in this situation. I think there are some times in sports where, like, we have a winning game plan. We just didn't win. You know, like that. It just didn't work out for whatever reason, but we know why, or we got unlucky. We're far enough into this season that, like, th- this is just not working. Let's do a bunch of different things. When when you don't see much change. I think that's where where fans get the most frustrated. Yeah, I'll tell you this. And like I said, you know, a a bunch of times is that it's going to start on the defensive end. It's going to start with guys covering for each other. It's going to start with guys switching. Uh, It's going to start with guys communicating. Uh, It's going to start with the the defense on the defensive end not being so spread out, even though the the game is, is dedicated around the three point line. But you have to figure out as a defense how to protect your paint and how to uh, get out to the shooters. But I think it's going to start on defense. I think that that's where they're going to turn it around. Uh, I think the offensive end and who comes in and the players that they play should be predicated on what's our best defensive group that gives us the most buckets. And if you can stop people, then you can figure out how much more points you can score. Chasing the offensive side of saying, all right, we got 100, so we 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 got to get to 120 because they have 120, that's not, I don't think that that's going to be successful and it hasn't been successful, you know, thus far. And that's why I don't get the Bertans move. Like you've started slow, you're bad defensively. He hasn't looked right offensively, but his defense right now is a guy gets by him and he pushes them. Like, and you just can't rack up that many fouls to start games. Like, I think that's so underrated how big a deal it is to get into foul trouble. Like, you know, get a team into a bonus early and, and, we do that every game. So like, that's what I just, I a hundred percent agree with you. They're only going to make the offense so much better. Like even if it was clicking perfectly, there's only so much incremental difference it'll make. Whereas you could make light years of difference on the defensive end without probably sacrificing that much offense. But if we keep seeing this, how does the $7 million a year coach, you know, who was paid like a top five coach, not do that or are they trying it and it's not working and we just don't know that like that that's what's frustrating 
I think some of that is, is a copycat league. So you see other teams scoring the basketball. You have one of, you know, the best scores uh, in the NBA now. So you get a lot of fanfare for scoring the basketball. But I don't care. Like, you, you know, you got 30, you got 40 and like five and 25. Like, it doesn't matter. It, it does not matter in the big scheme of things that we're scoring a bunch of points or, you know, on top of, you know, the, the leaderboard in the points category, because if we spread those points out, you're still going to get that same production. And that's why I say that the focus has to be on the defensive end, uh, you know, going forward. I totally agree. I want to get you out of here on a slightly lighter note. Um, Drew Gooden mentioned on a broadcast, so one of the last two or three games that early in his career, he used to go to Wendy's for burgers and fries with Jason Williams before every game. I don't know if you heard him say that, but any any memorable things like that that you remember or guys that just had like really weird pregame rituals where you're like, how was that guy as successful as he was being that way? Yeah, me. I mean, <laughs> okay. I, mean I was one of those guys. You know, I, I was one of those guys that did, you know, the fast food in the locker room before the game. You know, I think that, you know, Embiid a couple years, they would show him like out on the court, you know, eating like a, a Big Mac and – you know, eventually you get out of that stuff. But yeah, starting out, you know, first four, five, you know, six years, man, it's, you know, it's McDonald's in the, in the locker room for me, specific for me. I mean, I'm, I'm eating everything that's, that's <laughs> fast food, that's quick, uh, that's basic, that has zero uh, nutrients in it to, to make sure that I make it through the game. But I think it was, I think it's maybe, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's Boston. It may be Boston where they can run really quick and get us McDonald's. Okay. I think it's Boston. It may not be Boston, but I think it is Boston. But every time we go to Boston, you got the the pregame, you know, McDonald's bar none. I mean, you got to have the pregame McDonald's. And I did that for at least four years of, you know, just eating like fast food, like right before the game. What, what prompted the switch? Just like, Hey, I, I gotta, I gotta do something different or just a vet showed me like, Hey, Rook, that's, you know, that's not the way to go or. Yeah, it's like when you when you when you know better, you do better. You know, when you started getting around, you know, older guys that have been in the league that, you know, they have a chef, you know, they may have had a, you know, have a family, you know, that, you know, that the chef cooks for, and then you get a you get a plate or you get invited over for for a dinner or something, and you understand like, oh, this is how you're supposed to eat, this is how you you're supposed to fuel your body. But, you know, coming in, I mean, you know what I mean, you just, you know, young guy, you're gonna you eat you eat anything that's that's there. Yeah, I'm curious how much different that is for for guys now where, where every team has a chef and they provide a certain amount of meals a day. Like, you know, is are they having a salmon filet for lunch or are they still sneak in the whole medium pizza before the game? Like that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, later on in my career, I would make sure that, you know, my pregame meal was done, you know, at the same time. I would make sure that if I'm on the road, you know, I would make sure that the menu was right for my pregame meal. And if it wasn't right, then I would make sure that I found a restaurant that I would get, I could get the proper pregame meal. But that was six, seven years in uh, before I before I did that. You got it, but you got to eat right. Last kind of random one for you. Any crazy rookie duties when you were in Philly? Like I heard one the other day where like a, a veteran made a player like butter his bread for him when they went out to restaurants and and stuff like that. Oh no, I don't get down like that. I like it. I, I'm not buttering anybody's bread, but I would go get the donuts. Uh, I had to, 
you know, grab the laundry. This was before, you know, now the equipment managers, they go and, you know, pick up all the, the gear, the manager pick up, pick up all the gear. Mm-hmm. But when I came in as a rookie, we had to, on the road, we had to get all the, the practice gear. I had to get newspapers. George Lynch, um, I think I had to get his coffee. Or was it Matt Geiger? I think Matt Geiger had to get his coffee. You know, these are all guys that weren't really high maintenance, so I didn't have to do a lot. Uh, Larry Brown would make uh, the rookie players. If, you know, if you're getting off the plane to get on the bus, the rookies couldn't get off the plane and on the bus. They had to unload the plane, you know, to the bus. Kids nowadays, they would have a fit if they had to do that. But that was one of Larry Brown's deals that no rookie is going to just get off the plane and get right on the bus and sit down and watch, you know, all the managers and the, and the staff, you know, load the bus up. So that was one of my duties for sure as a, as a rookie is, is unloading the plane, you know, to the bus when we got into different cities. I like that. That's kind of good for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. It's, you can't have it easy. I mean, you, you can't have it easy. We can do our, our old man routine. Kids, te- you know, these days have it too easy and, and, and they're babied and, uh, yeah, I, I just heard a couple of random ones like that recently. I was like, all right, I got to find out if if Larry had any had any good ones. That's pretty good. I did. And then the thing with that was that he said, you know, make sure you do these things because eventually you'll be the guy and you'll have, you know, rookies that come under you. So don't, you know, be too big for your britches and, and not, you know, want to go grab laundry and want to go get newspapers because eventually you're going to be that guy asking, you know, your rook to go take care of the things that you did. And I, I definitely had my my share of rookies. Put them through the paces. Doesn't have to be embarrassing or, you know, demeaning or anything like that. But stuff like that, that's pretty good. Uh, All right, Larry, any parting shots here? No, man, just um, we're talking Wizards basketball. And, you know, we see exactly what you see. And it's our job to kind of talk about it a little bit. It's not our job to change anything. We're just having some fun. But at the end of the day, there's a fine line between winning and losing. And we all want to be on that that line of, of winning. So just using, you know, your expertise, you know, from the journalism side and, and what I've known to, to be true from the basketball side, you know, and just trying to give a, a little bit of insight on, you know, that fine line between winning and losing. Yeah. Hit us with some more questions. Uh, we haven't had a guest on in a while, so I'll see who I can I line up for us. But if you have suggestions on guests, let us know and uh, we'll try to bring you a couple different perspectives as well. Uh, All right, everybody. Again, this is another Believe in Wizards. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.